0: Are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision making and action taking. Let's talk about women in agriculture and how a more gender equal society could feed more people around the world. Meet my social impact pioneers, Emily Januk from the NGO CARE and Taryn Barclay from Cargill. NGOs and corporates often partner, but not many partnerships run for so long or as deeply as this one. Cargill helps many food supply chains move. They connect farmers with markets around the world, whilst Care started with a simple emergency relief package delivered over seven decades ago. Cargill and Care's relationship stretches back to 1958, when Cargill contributed to Care's food crusade. Today, they launch a new phase of the latest iteration of their partnership, but that is not what they are here to talk about. Today, we will be exploring together why gender parity in farming and food supply chains is a long way off, and how we can work better together. A little on Emily and Taryn. Emily Danik is the Senior Director for Thought Leadership and Knowledge Management and Learning at CARE. For a decade and a half, Emily has been designing systems to capture and share information to help improve impact, build dignity and eradicate poverty. Taryn Barkley is the Senior Director for Strategic Partnerships and Stakeholder Engagement at Cargill. With over 20 years of experience working in large multinational corporations, Taryn works to advance Cargill's food security and environmental sustainability partnerships. So Emily, Taryn, welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. Hi, thanks for hosting. Emily, I would like to turn to you first. For those not working on this day-to-day, can you perhaps paint us a bit of a picture of what women are doing globally for us in the agricultural space?
1: Women are probably growing some of your food. So to take one example globally, if you're in the United States where I live, you go to the store right now and you buy green beans, those are probably grown by a woman in Guatemala. If you eat a chocolate bar, a woman in Ghana or Cote d'Ivoire probably had something to do with producing that food. Anything that has vanilla in it, a woman in Madagascar or in Indonesia was involved somewhere in that process. Our systems are so connected that we don't even think about them most of the time. And they're not just growing food that I eat or that you eat, they're growing food that their communities eat, and they're putting food on the plates. They're responsible for 90% of the cooking. So one story is of a a woman farmer I met who was 17 years old, married, just had her first baby. And I was talking to her and she said twice that day, she had gone out to the field, harvested peanuts, walked five miles into the market with hundreds of pounds of peanuts, sold them and then gone, come back and done it all again, twice in the same day. And I said, wow, that's so much work. And she said, I said, aren't you tired? And she said, if I don't do it, we don't eat. That's what women are doing for food and agriculture in the world.
0: Um, Taryn, I wanted to bring you in next. Why do businesses such as Cargill, why do they care about helping women like those, Emily, who's just described to us?
2: Well, Cargill is a food, agricultural, industrial, and financial company. And we, we operate in 70 countries around the world. So thinking about our position within the global food and agricultural system, We have a unique opportunity to think about how we can solve these challenges and barriers that farmers face around the world, and in particular, women, because just as Emily said, women are growing our food. So, how can we think about building a more resilient supply chain that ensures we can really deliver that long term change that's needed to strengthen the food and agricultural system? So, for companies like Cargill, we need to think about the the whole ecosystem of the agricultural supply chain that we work in. How are we bringing the necessary tools and opportunities and access to farmers and agricultural communities around the world? And in particular, how do we create a unique access to the tools and resources that women really need to, to be successful? Because we're certainly particularly in in, um, the sector that that we're in, we want to ensure the success of farmers and agriculture globally.
0: Goodness, yeah, it really strikes home the challenges we've got balancing food production, feeding the world, climate change, looking after our nature. But I want to turn to your partnership for a moment. I mentioned this in our introduction. You guys have been in partnership for a long time. You're a big multinational company, you're a big NGO. You've worked across different territories over many decades. What keeps your partnership going? What's your secret sauce? How do you sort of really make it impactful?
2: So from a Cargill perspective, I would say the critical areas that have really contributed to the both the longevity, but also the, the positive impact of our partnership is that we share mutual goals. We have, you know, from a purely practical perspective, we have an overlapping global presence. We work in the in the same communities, and that's something that I I think is really critical. Is that many of the communities that we have the, these programming, they you know directly connected to where Cargill is operating, to where we have employees, to where we have our own businesses. So creating that strong connection, I think, has been really critical to building. Partnerships like we have with Care. The other thing as well that I think's been really important is that we have leveraged each other's expertise. I mean, there's definitely things that we have learned from Care. Um, I mean, they are experts in community development. They are, you know, they're a, a large international development organisation, and they they bring a lot of learning to to us in the same way that Cargo can bring expertise around. Um, agricultural markets or farmer productivity and technologies. So I think it's really been that kind of the merging of where we can each bring unique expertise, but in pursuit of a of a common set of objectives and goals.
1: I agree with everything Taryn said. And from CARES perspective, one of the words Taryn used several times was community. And part of what's important for us in this partnership is the idea to think about the whole community. So, for example, we do a lot of work with savings groups. And on the face of it, a business might say, well, why would you be doing savings groups? That has nothing to do with my supply chain. The ability to work with Cargill to see that the community is bigger than just the supply chain and that all of what's happening in the community influences the ultimate business is a really important part of the partnership. It's bigger than saying this is just about a supply chain. And it's also over time as the partnership has evolved thinking about how you bring business and the kind of work we do together, that they're not separate. And it's also not just charity. Cargill doesn't do this just because it's a charitable endeavor, but because they understand it is part of the business. And so how do we merge those? And that's something that has evolved over the many years of our partnership.
0: Oh, thank you for explaining that to us. And and I think sort of sharing that the case from from all angles of, as to why these sorts of partnerships do work and, and, and stay the course of time. Emily, I want to stay with you for a minute. I want to pry into the knowledge and the insight that you have sitting in the place that you, you are. What do you see as the biggest challenges facing women in agriculture? And, and how do we overcome this?
1: The biggest challenge is that people don't think of women seriously as farmers. And that's true at all levels. I've talked to suppliers who say, well, women have nothing to do with my supply chain. They absolutely do. You may not know that. You may not be watching that, but they are absolutely a part of it. You know, FAO estimates that if women got the same access to tools and resources that men did, you could feed 150 million more people every year in the world. So the biggest thing women are up against is inequality and the idea that they don't have a place in agriculture. And that plays out to take the example of Obi, who's the farmer I spoke about at the beginning of the podcast. She was 17 years old and married with a baby. That's not because that's what she wanted. That's because what her society expected her to do at that time in her life. So they're up against all these obstacles of what a social norm believes they should do and what inequality sets them up for.
0: Oh, 150 million more people fed. That's that's an amazing statistic. Taryn, bringing you in here for those who are listening we we care very deeply about the kind of practical pieces like what can people do about this for those listening who might be sitting within a company or on the sort of peripherals of and particularly in the kind of agricultural space what practical advice do you have to help create gender parity in particular i mean while we stick on this sort of subject of of women and and helping women get at least equity
2: so I would say the key things is is really understanding the barriers. You know what what are those things that are really precluding women from being engaged in a in a formal market, in a farming business, and then working out how we can also co create those solutions. Because we've seen from our collaboration with CARE that when women do have the ability to perform their agricultural economic activity and they have more access control and ownership of a set of agricultural productive resources or assets they run with that like they be, they deliver incredible success and impact for themselves and their families and their communities so it's more about how do we make sure that you know women they literally have that access and then deliver their own success. I mean, what we've certainly seen with many of the programs is that, you know, women are entrepreneurs. If, you know, when, I, when I've when i had the great fortune to be out, you know, in the field, seeing many of the programs that we operate in, women are running, you know, small businesses, they are engaging in so many different activities. So how can we just think about ways to provide the tools and the resources to help them be as successful as they can be. And I, I think that that's the really critical piece is really understanding those barriers, co-creating those solutions. And then it's an enabler. It's one of those enablers that just help them to become as successful as they, as they can be. And sometimes that's also, there's some in series of interventions that may be kind of quicker and easier than others. Emily talked to some of the sort of cultural norms that do perhaps take longer to change but that's also I guess why we think about these collaborations in the long term and why we so are so focused on connecting it to our businesses because that does support a longer term sustainability of of these activities too. That makes so much sense.
0: Taryn, I wanted to stick with you. So this is the part in the conversation where I'm going to step back. I would love to invite both you Taryn and Emily to invite each other a question. And so Taryn, I want to turn to you first. Would you like to ask Emily a question and please feel free the stage is yours. Yeah,
2: I was I was thinking about this and it's kind of I guess it speaks to the the longevity of our specific collaboration but also how we have built on each phase. So I'm really thinking maybe a little bit into the future is how could we leverage even more of of each other's unique organizational skills and expertise sets and really bring in that that evolution of sort of what's the what's the next stage of innovation? What's the next stage or what does what does partnership of the future look like? And I guess I am asking myself many of these questions. But it would be interesting, Emily, to think from your perspective, sitting within care, how you are thinking about, you know, the next, the next evolution of, of private sector NGO partnership.
1: Yeah. And I have to say you stole my question. So <laughs> I'll have to think of a different one. But to answer that, one of the things I think is critical is this idea of how do we change the enabling environment? And how do we think about Cargill as a major global player in the global food system? And how do we think about leveraging that space? Um, And what needs to change more broadly in the world? How we can do that together? I think there's also great opportunity to continue deepening this idea of It's not just about the participants in the community. It's about the business. How do we shift the business? And how do we bring our expertise together to say businesses can be more sustainable? They can move into the future that we know we need to address climate change in a way we have not yet as a world. How do we do that together? And I think for us, that's a lot of the vision. And how do we scale? How do we help shift the broader environment in addition to the services we can deliver for individual farmers?
0: No pressure there, Taryn.
1: I'm sorry to whip the question,
2: but it's something that's actually just been, I mean, I I guess it speaks to the fact that it's uh, things that we're both thinking about. And I think that we have a great opportunity here to, I think exactly to your point, Emily, connect it more to the business, demonstrate how agriculture can also be be solutions to these big issues we're, we're grappling with around climate or, you know, inequality, how can we see the work that we're doing as contributing very direct solutions, but do that in a way that is also creating that economic empowerment and opportunity. And I think that in particular, I mean, we're very fortunate, I think the sector of agriculture in particular does have a unique contribution to play.
0: And Emily? Have you been able to think on your feet? Have you got another question you'd like to ask Taryn?
1: Yeah. Taryn, what gives you the most hope? What are you most looking forward to in this work? I what gives me the
2: most hope is I just look at the the last phase of our collaboration. I mean, we we literally announced our new phase of, of partnership towards the end of 2019 just as we were heading into 2020 and i think about all the all of the disruption that took place over the last few years you know dealing with a global pandemic many of the communities that we were also implementing programming in faced things like hurricanes and you know a whole host of really significant crisis situations and in spite of that i i feel the The data that we are seeing of how resilient these communities have emerged just gives me so much optimism that we we know we can solve for these, these, these different challenges. If we were able to create opportunity for these communities, despite all of the challenges that took place over the last few years, how can we really kind of almost Double down on those those sets of sets, things that we know work and are, are and are delivering impact, and really continue to strengthen and expand those areas. And that's what really makes me super optimistic, but also excited about what we can do together and what we can do over the next phase of our collaboration. Because I think the the time we're in is is demanding that of us to to really continue to strive for that innovation, to think about ways that we can build that resiliency. And, and really, I'm, um, you know, I'm just thinking that it, it really was, speaks to the testament of these communities that you know, they, they took the resources they were given but created their own success. And I, I just think that has given me great hope of what we could really achieve together.
0: Oh, I love a bit of hope. Thank you very much, Taryn, for sharing that. We're nearly at the end of our conversation, but I just wanted to ask you both, what's next for you? I mean, you just talked to Taryn a bit about hope, but what does that mean in practical terms? What's the next step? Emily, I wondered whether you wouldn't mind going first.
1: What's next is we've just launched a new phase of the partnership. So we're shifting some of the pieces, mostly based on community feedback. What did they see? What works best for them? How do we really dive in to those places? And how do we think about this idea of shifting the system? So in addition to what communities can change in their own spaces, I used the example before of a supplier who says, women aren't a part of my supply chain. Yes, they are. How do we shift that part of the business? That's part of where we're headed next. And as we're facing a global food crisis and the global climate crisis, Thinking about what is that broader system, and what can we do to make sure it's going to last for the next generations that need to live here.
0: Thank you, and Taryn, last word to you. What what does next look like for you?
2: Yeah. So as Emily said, we have recently embarked on a new three-year phase that I think is going to really build on the you know the sets of really successful interventions that we've seen accomplished over the the last couple of years so thinking through about how can we enable that greater access for women to inclusive markets how can we support their access to agricultural resources that can help them to be successful farmers entrepreneurs in their communities and we have a greater focus around advocacy and further partnership and collaboration because we know that thinking about this broader systems change it has the opportunity to collaborate across the supply chain and with different actors, and part of the reason to really focus in on these areas is also because we've, you know, we're we're tracking outcomes such as you know farmers that are now becoming part of a cargo supply chain or that have built their businesses to such an extent that they are um, cargo customers. So how can we really see the impacts that we've achieved over this recent area, you know, phase of collaboration? and really focus in on those those areas to, to deliver even greater impact and really, you know, get at some of that innovation and the solutions orientation approach that I, I think we both are looking for.
0: Oh, wow. Well, on that note, Emily, Taryn, a massive thank you for joining me today, for sharing your wisdom, your insights, your expertise, and uh, giving us all a bit of hope. Taryn, Emily, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback, so please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty.